hope we see uh, these technologies being used for improving the healthcare systems and the way healthcare has been done and, and everything in the years to come. The world beyond. Emotion is of tomorrow. Brought to you by Michelle and Mark. Hello and welcome back to the second part of my talk with Kathy Hackel, leading expert in the metaverse, Web3 and overall tech futurist. Now that we have gotten to know Kathy in part one, established some of the tech basics, let's continue with a more in-depth analysis of the technology of tomorrow. Kathy, welcome back. Oh, excited to be back. <laughs> Excellent. It is a pleasure to continue our talk. Let's jump right back in. As I look into your picture, which the listeners won't see, um, I'm seeing on your back shelf a uh, beautifully magic leap uh, one glasses, which I also had the pleasure mm-hmm. to own with our, I think, common friend, Roni Abovitz, who was also mm-hmm. a guest in my podcast. Um, what technology is actually talking about hardware mm-hmm. uh, do you think we will see emerge and how will they be linked and what do you think about the second version of the um, magic leap glasses? I mean, what is what is out there? I mean, We heard Microsoft, the HoloLens. What do you think who's playing a big role in the technology of hardware in the upcoming year 24? Well, I think we're going to, we're definitely going to see a fight, (laughs) a race uh, for wearable AI in these devices, right? So um, I I had the pleasure to work at Magic Leap for several years, Um, very interesting company. Um, You know, it was right around the time they were working on the Magic Leap 2 hadn't been released. So I think we'll continue to see really technologically advanced supercomputers in some way, spatial computers really, not supercomputers, but spatial computers that you wear on your face that are going to be able to see the world. So, uh, you know, I'm really focused on spatial computing in 2024 and thinking about how that changes human-to-human interaction, but as well as human-computer interaction. And we're starting to see that, right? We're starting to see it with like our, like I have an iPhone 15 Pro Max that does spatial video. So I'm very excited about that. And I think, like a lot of the tech people out here, I'm excited about um, the Apple Vision Pro in 2024. But you know, I think you're you're seeing all these companies start to think about what devices they might come up with in this future as we head forward. When do you think we will be there that we um, actually see the virtual space equal the reality? What do you think? How long we still have to wait? I mean, you were mentioning your iPhone, and it's quite. Um, common use and common sense that we use messaging services or Instagram. When do you think that the the, the large crowd will see it um, as natural as an iPhone is to us mm-hmm. today? I think from a mass market perspective, I don't like putting a timestamp or saying, you know, this year or this month. Um, I think we're going to see the shift in the next decade, you know, so whenever that is, depending also on the acceleration of technology, if anything, we've seen this year, you know, this last year, kind of AI just take over and accelerate a pace that has been just astronomical. Um, so I don't want to necessarily say that, but I would say in the next decade, we'll see that shift. Uh, and we'll move into definitely replacing, you know, our computers first and then eventually our mobile phones with other equipment. And you said once in the keynote presentation that the metaverse unlocks creativity like we have never seen mm-hmm. before. Um, can you explain that a little bit to me and yeah. show different examples for that? Yeah, I think it's technology and creativity are being unleashed in new ways, right? Um, in good ways and bad ways, right? Um, but I, I think you're starting to see creators generating beautiful content, whether it's using Runway, you know, one of those AI softwares 
to to create new ads uh, or new well, an ad is not an exciting thing, right? But it still uses creativity. But I think um, you know acceleration of books, acceleration of content that we create is is kind of you're starting to see it. I think you're starting to see it also in the fashion space. That's where I do a lot of my work, right in the fashion industry. Um, so you're already starting to see kind of the impact of how creativity in the virtual space is impacting the physical world. So a great example that I always share um, is, for example, Forever 21 uh, that launched uh, in Roblox. And the avatars, a lot of people were using these virtual beanies, beanie hats, um, that said Forever 21. They were very, very successful, very, uh, you know, kind of a, a big seller in the virtual space. And they eventually realized, well, if this is what they really want, then why don't we create the physical product? And then they created the physical product and it did really well in sales. So I think you're starting to see kind of that relationship. And once again, it's it's starting to think about how does the creativity that maybe we're seeing in the virtual space translate into the physical world? Uh, and everything. So yeah, I think that there, especially in fashion, I think there's some really clear examples. And even when you think about fashion from that perspective and the relationship between creativity and technology, you're starting to see it more and more on the runway, right? Caperni is a brand that is doing that every single one of their runway shows. You're starting to see them engage, you know, whether it is a robot from Boston Dynamics, whether it's the humane AI pin on Naomi Campbell down the runway. Um, but you're also seeing it, you know, in some of the bigger maisons. Uh, the classic example there is Louis Vuitton, you know, um, appointing Pharrell, uh, Pharrell as their creative director. And Pharrell has always been an artist that has been pushing technology. And his show in February of last year of 2023, sorry, February of 2023, had a pixelated look. So you're starting to see kind of this technology and creativity fusing together even further. And I think you're going to continue to see it. You know, you've got Louis Vuitton launching their Via NFT trunk um, for, you know, for very, for a very high price, but for very select token holders. So I, I think you're going to continue to see that blurry line, that blurry edge between fashion, technology, and creativity come together. And fashion eventually seeps into everything that we are in, in self-expression and how we present ourselves in virtual spaces as well as physical ones, right? So to me, it's all part of a bigger, broader conversation about self-expression um, and creativity and how technology is part of that bigger conversation. So I hope that makes sense. But I, I definitely think if you look at fashion and what's happening in the fashion space around technology and creativity, you'll start to see some of the things that are leading the way and um, that are pointing towards that direction. Now um, I have an next one for my design team over here in my creative yeah. studios, like the Mac Solutions or the Mac Magic. Um, we see a lot of different AI-generated yeah. art emerging, but can AI ever truly be creative? And uh, do you think it's not more of a remix, or is it just a copy of creative products created by humans? Or do all my guys being painters and lovely mm -hmm. creatives lose their jobs tomorrow? That's a really really hard question to answer, right? Can AI be creative? Because it boils down to the concept of intelligence, right? Whether we think that intelligence from a computer can create its own thing and be creative. And I think that that's where a lot of fear lies, right? On if it becomes creative, then does, does that mean that we're out as humans, right? I'm team human all the way, <laughs> right? But I do think that we are starting to see an evolution of maybe a different version of creativity that is powered through AI. And this is how I, I always say this, like at some point we use technology to tell stories on cave walls, right? Eventually we ended up painting on paper, on papyrus, and then we painted on canvas. 
and it evolved. Like we use technology, right, to change and evolve the things that we're doing. So I see this as that next evolution. And it doesn't have to be only about this artificial intelligence or this machine intelligence being creative. I think as humans, we remain creative, but it's how we use technology. I don't want to say that it cannot be creative because I don't necessarily think that that's you know, that that is a hundred absolutely, you know, a hundred percent true or absolutely true. You know, especially with a lot of these models, <laughs> you know, I think they're black boxes. Um, so I think that there is a lot of fear. I think there is a lot of fear uh, from artificial general intelligence, uh, people thinking that, you know, it might replace us or take, take that away. As humans, we remain creative and I'm team human, but I don't think that we need to kind of just have that conversation of like, can it be creative? Well, Possibly, it can possibly be creative, but then it's defining creativity in this new era, just like we've had it to redefine it throughout the different faces of humanity and how we've used technology. So, so you think fear is the wrong uh, motivation? So just be even more creative and try to find. Well, new I think art, that right? there's there definitely is okay to have precautions, and I think that it's okay to have checkpoints and and you know and temperature checks when it comes to the acceleration of technology and AI. You know, I don't think we should be full necessarily full steam ahead no matter what when it comes to artificial general intelligence, right? I think that there needs to be these temperature checks and these checkpoints, right? But I do think that if we only phrase it around creativity and, you know, is this going to replace us because it's creative? I don't know. Like the answer is I truly don't know, right? Because these are these are black boxes and I'm not sure, you know, and as much as I am a futurist, I am not here to predict the future. I don't have a crystal ball. So I wouldn't be able to tell you, right, that it's going to, you know, that it's going to be Terminator. I hope it not, right? I hope it doesn't become Terminator, but maybe it's a coexistence. Well, I just was mentioning that I thought you had a crystal ball. Well, uh, let's do that for the next time uh, to use that crystal ball to see what the future might bring us. Um, do you see other fields of, now we talked a lot about fashion, entertainment, mm -hmm. um, how magically even Apple Vision Pro could be uh, uh, used. Um, do you see other fields of usage of those new XR glasses? Is it a different way we work, incorporate, and research in the future? Uh, well, how would you differ between entertainment and, let's say, research in everyday life? Do you have a percentage? What do you think that people will use it for? I, I don't think I have a percentage, right? Because this is a product that's not necessarily everywhere. I sure hope it is used in education, and I hope it's used in research. Um, you know, education as an industry <laughs> needs to evolve and change. We're still educating kids in the same way we used to educate them, uh, you know, in the 19, you know, early 1900s. So, uh, so I think that needs to evolve and change education in general. So I think it'll, you know, hopefully adopt uh, some of these technologies. Um, but yeah, and I also think healthcare. Um, you know, I hope that that's something that magically went in all in on is definitely the healthcare side. I hope we see uh, these technologies being used for for improving the healthcare systems um, and the way healthcare has been done and, and everything in the years to come. That's an interesting one. Um, mm -hmm. How do you think, like, amusement park, that's um, what I'm asking myself mm -hmm. constantly, uh, like uh, Europa Park, all the others out there, what is the rate to go between a physical sensation of riding a roller coaster and, um, and how to implement those new technology? Do you think, like, the theme park of the future has to be having both, like, um, shaping a new reality by using um, AI-driven or XR-driven devices? 
I think that, you know, as I look to 2024, a lot of the work I'm going to be doing is in the future of, whether it's the future of the stadium, the future of the concert venue, the future of the theme park, right? And thinking really deeply into the, what that truly means as we look at, you know, 2024 and beyond. My feeling is that the future of the amusement park is a combination of things because especially with the younger generations, the engagement of the amusement park has to happen even before they get there, before they even set foot. Um, just like it does right now, like, you know, the tickets and the experience of driving there and everything, but there needs to be an engagement that starts to happen earlier. Um, and, you know, I definitely see components of en- continuing to engage with that audience, even when they leave, uh, whether it's, you know, potentially creating, you know, esports around it, like th- th- there's many theories and ideas, right? So I'm not going to answer that question hundred percent, but I do think that it'll be a combination of technology. And for me, uh, the f- one of the first times people ask me, like, when is the f- one of the first times you engage with technology? And I said, the clearest example I have in my mind of the first time I experienced an augmented reality or a reality that had an augmentation to it uh, was definitely when I was eight years old and my parents took me to Disney in Orlando and I went on the Haunted Mansion. And that moment when I'm coming out of the Haunted Mansion and I see the ghost sitting next to me, right? In the carriage. That was the first time I was like, oh, wow. Like there's something that I couldn't believe my eyes was there, right? I'm eight years old. And of course it's Pepper's ghost, right? So it's not that complicated. But that idea and that concept that a lot of the times these younger children engage with technology and these augmented experiences at amusement parks, I think it is incredibly important because that is something they'll take throughout their lives, et cetera. So, so yeah, I think that there is an important element there um, when it comes to the future of entertainment, when it comes to the future of sports teams, when it comes to the future of uh, amusement parks. Um, I was recently working on a Roblox experience for a sports team, and some of the research that they had done showed that I think between the ages of 8 and 12, that's when they're deciding which sports team they're going to support, whether it's the sports team that daddy supports or whether it's the sports team that that does not support, right? Or whether it's, you know, maybe there's a family and there's many sports teams. So I think that that specific window of opportunity to create that affinity is very small and it's getting smaller. So I think that that's where the future of whatever it is, is going to have to come into place to think about how do you start create that emotional affinity with your sports team, with your band, with your amusement park from an early age. And that's, I think, a lot of the work that I'm going to be doing in 2024. Obviously, you have that short window of connecting to your future customers, but um, and certainly technology is mm-hmm. going to play a big role. Do you think it's more like a gaming uh, um, overlay of getting those customers attracted to your brand, or do you think it's a story-driven IP thing? Because that's mm-hmm. a huge discussion, um, theme parks at least, keeping up at the moment to say, obviously, Disney's doing great and mm-hmm. implementing in their theme parks brands like the Marvel Universe or even Star Wars and stuff like that without having too much of a gaming component to it because it's truly movie-related or mostly movie-related. So how, what would you say? Is it more like look into a gaming aspect to uh, engage the people from home to come to your theme parks? Or do you think it's uh, more the IP and the universe driven? I think it'd be a multi-pronged approach. I don't think it's one or the other, or it's just one. Um, I think that whatever it is, whoever's listening to this and whatever business you're in, it's going to be about 
analyzing and thinking about multiple things together, not just one specific thing. So just saying that it's only going to be gaming, that would be a disservice. I think it has to be a combination and it has to be specifically for that business that you're in, right? So if you if you look at everything, and I, I, talk, I do talk about this in my podcast, is that if you look at something like a Netflix, right? Netflix is investing heavily in gaming, right? Because they see that as an extension of their IP and being able to create engagement for a lot of their shows beyond just the current, you know, binge watching of the show. So you've seen that, you know, and you're starting to see a lot more of that. That's why when people say like, why would an Apple get into, you know, into entertainment? It made total sense. They want to be able to have access to these IPs and bring entertainment in new ways into their hardware or have you ex- engage with it in different ways. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's only gaming. <laughs> I think it's a multi-pronged approach and it can be out of home, in home. It can be many different experiences on how people engage with that business that you're in. So um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it's only gaming, but gaming is a part of it depending on who your audience is. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're leaving a little bit the subject of uh, the metaverse, but I think it's a uh, content is a big point on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just wondering, and I can't answer the question to myself because I just recently been to London, mm-hmm. uh, visiting the um, Stranger Things experience. So I'm asking myself, like, hmm, this is one of the very few Netflix IP who made it to uh, come uh, alive. I mean, the most things I'm seeing out there are old IPs getting revamped, like the ABBA musical um, yeah. or The Voyage, seeing like um, Star Wars coming to the theme parks and at Disney. The Marvel uh, universe mm-hmm. is mostly like um, lying a couple of years back in time. I mean, so that's really Netflix do have a chance with the overwhelming uh, uh, content they are putting out every, literally every hour. Um is there a chance for a IP to really develop itself and to be a part within um, a, a metaverse? Because um, don't think people get like just into the swiping moment of like consuming, consuming without really getting the deep bond to a love brand. That's something I'm just making my head in. Yeah, I, I think it's a question of fandom. Like, is the people that really do love certain? IP, they love it deeply. So it's not in the numbers. It's in, the, I think, sometimes in the quality of the people and the amount, like, the quality of the people that love your brand, right? So, like, Harry Potter, for example, is one of those IPs that continues to this day to be extremely loved and powerful, right? Um, I've seen my kids, um, you know, my kids are 7, 11, and 12 cycle through it. Like, my 7 year old starting to be interested. So I see this, like, it depends on the IP. It depends on the community and the people that have that fandom, so while we do live in a TikTok world, <laughs> right, where it's like, you know, the, just the algorithm is feeding you all sorts of things, I do think that people do fall in love with certain things and they want to engage with it. Same thing with sports teams, right? You might love your sports team for the rest of your life, right? Manchester or whoever, you know, whichever it is that people love. SD Freiburg, SD Freiburg coming out of south of Germany. Whichever team it is, right? Um you know, they're going to continue to love that. I lived in Madrid for a couple of years. My son was born there. And I mean, you know, as much as some people love or hate on Madrid, the fandom is is insane, right? Um, so I, I think that there are, there is still IP. There's still things that people want to engage with. And it doesn't have to be about a mass market appeal. It has to be about fandom. It just evolves and changes. That being said, like the idea of that mass market you know, I think niche is the new mass market and that's where power really, really lies is with these very engaged communities of fandom that love your brand, that want to continue to see your brand succeed. 
So, because yeah, in the age of TikTok, everything's everything's a trend, and trends change all the time. Hmm, interesting. So, talking about back to the big players in the industry, um, mm -hmm. Facebook just um, renamed themselves as being Meta. And um, do they think they give up on a, on a strong brand as it used to be, or do they think it was the right thing to do to drive the company further? I, you know, I don't know. I still have strong feelings about it. I mean, they changed their name; it was their decision. I don't know. I mean, they did introduce the term metaverse to millions of people <laughs> and, and sooner, much sooner than I thought that people would talk about the metaverse. But, you know, with that obviously came some baggage. So, so I don't know, like, I, I think um, it's what, two years almost since they changed their name. So, you know, we're, I think we're, we're kind of past necessarily making that a big deal. They are who they are. And, you know, if they wanted to change their name, You know, just like, you know, let, let them change it. Let, let them, them change I mean, yeah, like they're, <laughs> you know, they have to respond to their shareholders. So. Yeah, right, 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 right. I mean, you differentiated between storytelling and story living. That's uh, I something do. I have on I my do, list do, in do, your talks. Do um, how do you think we will be living stories in the future? Always I, interactive, always technology? No, no, like I sometimes it'll be passive. Sometimes we'll just want to hear a story uh, and not be active, right? Um, so like there's storytelling, story living, story doing, I think it's an evolution. And even when you go to these immersive experiences, like if people have been to sleep no more or have been to any of these immersive experiences, whether it is, um, you know, the Bridgerton experience that was, uh, you know, that was around for a bit, uh, the physical immersive, um, live experience, there is a choice, right? There is a choice that you can just be a passive and just walk through it and not experience it. Or there is an opportunity to engage with some of these cast members and these experiences, right? So I think that, yeah, people will flow in between that. I always used to use the joke with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, that movie <laughs> with Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Um, and I said, well, sometimes you're going to go in and want to experience the movie as Mr. Smith. Sometimes you'll want to be Mrs. Smith. And sometimes you're just going to be in a passive uh, viewer, right? So I, I think it, it evolves, right? And it's storytelling, story living, and story doing. Yeah, we talk a lot about technology. Mm -hmm. um, we talk a lot about how the fusion is going to be between AI, a wearable gadget, the emerge of real life and virtual life. Sometimes um, it's very overwhelming and just looking uh, to our children. Um, we all do understand that the virtual gets more into reality. Aren't we a little bit sometimes afraid being uh, parents that It is that merge, and do you think we will eventually get back to moments of where we're just going to go out in the woods <laughs> without knowing exactly what kind of uh, tree is standing in front of us and um, knowing everything at any time? Do you still think we have our offline moments? And uh, if yes, how, how how would you think we should protect them? Yeah, I mean, I think that that at the end of the day is up to each parent and how they decide to parent their children, what they give them access to. Um, you know, as a person that a person that works in tech, like my daughter got her first mobile phone at 13. Like I did not give her a mobile phone and she still has no social media, right? So that's up to each parent, what they let their children do. But, you know, the best thing you can do, I think, is try to be involved with them, try to speak with them. I did as much like with my 13-year-old, I made her sign a contract. <laughs> It's not an enforceable contract, right? But I said, I'm giving you this phone. This is a responsibility, and this is how you're supposed to approach it. And these are the rules of engagement. To, at that moment, my son joked at her and said, read the fine print. <laughs> There was no fine print, right? It's mom writing a Word document. Um, but but I, I think it, it's interesting for them to understand that 
yeah, this technology has immense power and it, with it comes responsibility. So I think that is up to every parent. Um, I do think as a parent, try to learn what they're doing, play with them, ask them questions, even though they'll roll their eyes and, and just stay present with them. Um, I do think there's plenty of time and moments that you're going to have that are offline that are going to be beautiful. I don't think that goes away, but it's finding that balance. So my my kids have a balance between activities in the physical world, which they love to do, whether it's golf or jujitsu or gymnastics, but also, you know, spending time with us, you know, playing Mario Kart. So it, it kind of all depends. And it's up to you as a parent to find that balance and help them as well and make them aware that with these technologies, there is great responsibility that comes with them. Yeah. It won't be easier for parents in the future. No, to, it's uh, never been, right? It's never, it's never been, been like, right. Never you know, been. sitting in front of the TV to watch these TV shows, they thought their brains were going to rot. I think it's, it was okay, yeah. right? <laughs> Most people turned out yeah, okay. I think, uh, I think we so. turned out quite good because that was our yeah. childhood. But I do see a, a kind of dependency because I, I do believe that all those virtual worlds do make you a little bit more uh, dependent like the TV would do because you, it, I, I do believe it changed your brain a little bit because you need that constant yeah. gratification, this constant likability. This, so I think it changes people a little bit. No, I agree with you. Like, that's why, like, my kids are not on social. Like, the algorithm and the dopamine hit, they're not there. I do think with these, some of these technologies, there is world building capabilities. So allowing your children to build things is huge. Right now, if they can build worlds in Minecraft, if they can build worlds in Roblox, that changes the paradigm into a creative process of creative and generating, right? Instead of just scrolling, right? So I think that there are two different things there. And I always say, if you have a child that's gaming and they can build, split that time between gaming and creating and world building. And like that starts to create a better balance. But yeah, when you start to talk about social media and algorithms, I'm going to be honest, there's a reason my kids are not on social, Right. So to every parent out there, be careful what you people do in the digital world and don't engage them too early with social media. Well, and, what, and if you are the parent that lets your kids be on social, that's that's who you are as a then parent. Then deal like, with the issue. Wrong. Deal but with the be issue. Be involved. <laughs> ask questions. And also let your children know that you, you know, that there is a responsibility when they have access to these things. Yep. That's a nearly perfect finish of our conversation. And uh, thanks again for taking the time. But not only do I see... Um, a lovely hardware on your shelf behind you. I do see also that you uh, do publish uh, numerous books. Uh, one I do see is Into the Metaverse, like, uh, yeah. written by you. And um, there's a new book coming out in May about spatial computing and AI business uh, revolution. Um, I mean, maybe you can just, before we, um, I'm going to ask you my last question, talk a little bit about it what you've been written so far and what is your new book about? Well, uh, my new book, Spatial Computing and AI-Driven Business Revolution is coming out in May, published by Wiley. It's my fifth book and uh, all my books have been about technology and I'm really excited about it. I think 2024 is going to be a huge year for spatial computing and spatial computing doesn't just equal XR. It's much broader. AI is a building block, a very important part of the spatial part, right? And the spatial processing and the vision side of spatial computing. So I'm very excited about that. I co-wrote it with Irina Cronin, who's also widely known in the tech space. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled. I think it's going to bring, uh, it's probably going to be one of the first books out there talking about spatial computing and kind of the evolution of human to human and human computer interaction. So yeah, just thrilled. Thank you for, for mentioning the book. I appreciate that. Uh, now I've asked, uh, you asked many of my questions. Do you have anything on return to me? 
Yeah, so I want to share with you a story. Um, even as an American, my dad was a diplomat and we lived all over the world. Uh, and one of my many trips um, to visit him in Geneva, I was with some friends and they, they decided they were going to go to an amusement park. I was 12, I was 12, and I had never heard about it at that time. And they said, we're going to Europa Park. And they took me there and it was one of the best, most funnest experiences I've ever had. And I still, to this day, remember that fondly. So thank you to you and your family for creating that space for children, for families, for, for people in general to come together. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. So you have revealed a secret, which I uh, not even was aware of. So we catch you in the right timing between 8 and 12 to hopefully yeah. uh, remain a, a long life Europa Park yeah. supporter. Well, my kids love Rulantica. Uh, when I <laughs> took them last year, they love. They said, oh my gosh, we love Rulantica. It's the best water park ever. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Seven years from now. Um, as always, my last question is, what will the world look like in seven years time regarding our areas of expertise? Uh, seven years? I mean, we'll have... Some of us might have moved from mobile phones to a different device. That remains to be seen. Um, I mean, Generation Alpha in seven years, my daughter will be 2021. Um, she'll be working, so it'll be a different generation. Uh, in about 10 years, uh, you know, at, by 2030, I believe 10% of the workforce is going to be Gen Alpha. So I think it's going to be a very interesting time, and it'll be very, very different. So we'll see. As long as the people still come over riding a good roller coaster, I'm yes. not too much uh, concerned, but it's going to be a very exciting and interesting time. So thank you so much again, Kathy, for being my guest today. It has been most insightful to learn more about the metaverse, the AI, the Web3, and all being involved. If you want to dive deeper into what we spoke about, make sure you buy the books of Kathy, uh, because she's a true expert of what she's uh, saying and talking about. It was truly insightful talking to you so thanks again Dankeschön. <laughs> I'd like to wish you a happy happy new year and start with into a good vision year of 24 to you too as well and I can't wait for 2024 I think it's going to be a great year so thank you all for listening today please tune in next time again to uncover more of what the world of tomorrow holds Michelle Mack presents The World Beyond Emotion is of tomorrow. A Mac One production.